just as I am. Empty-handed but alive in your hands. Here I stand. Humble by the love that you give. Forgiven so that I can listening to the broadcast of True Bible Mission for Jesus Church, located at 6010 West Mill Road, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where the pastor is Elaine Allen. Praise the Lord, it's chat time. Praise the Lord. Praise it's the Lord, it's chat time. Yes, this is chat time. This week, we will continue our discussion of current events and scriptures. Praise the Lord. So we're going to continue this week with answering an email that was sent to us by someone who wanted to um, have Luke chapter 13 verses 31 to 33 explained. So last week we were giving some background uh, leading up to those verses and we were going back to the end of chapter 11 and um, and and showing how the Lord was provoked we were going through verse 12 and the Lord was really provoked during his time here and um, so what I want to do this week is to talk a little bit about Herod so now actually you know in the Bible they only say Herod, really, or Herod the Tetrarch, or, you know, and and I don't want anybody to believe that that was the same person throughout the New Testament. So Herod's family, you know, was a big one. He had, Herod the Great had four wives. There, her, one of them was Doris, then there was Mariamne, and then Mariamne, and Malthase, and Cleopatra. Now, out of those four, one, two, three, five wives, um, their children were Antipater, Alexander, Aristobulus, Philip I, Archelaus, Herod Antipas, and Philip II. So now, a little background about Herod the Great, well, I guess all the Herod, the Herod family was, um, they were all known for 
being uh, builders, uh, great builders, enlarging the temple. Uh, but what happened is that you just don't know a person unless you really know them. So when you do some research, you find out that Herod the Great was pretty mean. He was very hateful, very, 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 um, very much hated and feared by by the people. And at the end, he was he's laying, dying in a place in Jericho. And he was sick for a very long time. And um, they say, from all the research that I could find, he had gangrene, severe itching, convulsions, ulcers. His feet were covered with tumors. He had constant fevers. And all the while he was dying, what they did is they filled the entire stadium of Jericho with very important people, loved people from um, all around his land. And what was going to be happening is that he felt like he was so hated that when he died, nobody would mourn for him. So what he did is he filled this huge stadium with all these important people. And the moment he died, they were there was an order for them to be killed at the moment of his death so that people would be mourning, but they would be mourning for the people that were killed and not necessarily for Herod the Great. And it didn't seem to matter that they would be not mourning for him. All he cared about is that people would be mourning. You know, and you wonder what he was thinking about. What could he be thinking about on his deathbed? Um... Was he thinking about the rabbis and their students that he recently executed for tearing down the Roman eagle from the temple gate because it violated God's law against images? Or do you think he was thinking about his his beloved wife? Um, which one did he have? Mari Emni and her two sons whom he had drowned in the palace swimming pool? which was next door to where he was laying in his bed dying. Or do you think he was remembering the execution of his favorite son? Now, can you believe this? His favorite son, Antipater? He did that only days b- before he was, he was dying because he thought that he was plotting against him. And Antipater was the one who was going to take his father's place. And... um Mariemne, Mariemne, his wife, died because Herod the Great's sister put a bug in his ear and was telling him that his wife is cheating on him. And so to pay her back, he just killed her and his sons, and I think it was her mother as well. And then... um, Maybe he was thinking about the 45 members of the Sanhedrin whom he had murdered and the hundreds of family and staff that he suspected of plotting. He was paranoid. That man was just plain paranoid, and he killed thousands of subjects. A lot of leaders are like that. Stalin was like that, you know, and the current leader of uh, North Korea is like that. They, they, they um, see enemies all around them. They can't see straight. They just—they're just 
paranoid. And then, so I guess uh, he had um, revised his will to reflect the execution of his son Antipater. And um, then the land was going to be divided to other uh, family members. So there was a greed for more territory. And Herod's sons went to Rome to ask for additional lands because they had to go to the, I, I think it, how it worked is the uh, Emperor Augustus. Um, right. So, these, so he was an evil man. Right. He had no regard for for life because the position, first of all, he didn't fear the Lord. And the position that he was in placed him in total control over lives. And having no sense of compassion, no sense of morality, no sense of, of true justice, you know, or even true mercy. And he was he was vicious. Yeah, and he, he was not a Jew. His father was an Edomian and his mother Arabian. Um, the Roman Senate had made him king of Judea in forty BC and um so I I I don't know. It's it's like I'd hate to live in a place where you feared for your life. And that's exactly what Mary and Joseph were in the middle of right. living in this Fearing time. For, for their life at the whim of somebody who just, at their own discretion, which had no logic to it, can decide whether you live or whether you die. So you had these uh, different Herods taking, taking the throne. And it was leading up to the atmosphere that was created where Jesus was ministering in, and he was ministering at a time where there was like political unrest, and the people, the Jewish people who were the leaders, basically were looking out for their own interest, not the spiritual interest of the people that they were responsible for, but they were looking out for uh, their own uh, self-interest and promotion and uh, their own status. They wanted the people to give them honor. They weren't looking to give God the glory. They had gotten carnal-minded, and they saw nothing wrong with what they were doing. See, Jesus rebuked them because they absolutely did not see anything wrong with what they were doing. And that's how it is today. People, you tell them that's against God's will, and they see absolutely nothing wrong with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You see some people, uh, when, when, they, when they kill someone, they don't see anything wrong with it. Or when they take an innocent life. Or when they abort a child. Or, or when they, like the daughters that killed their mother, you know. Uh, and the mother's last words to her daughters were, I hate you. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, they, you, you, whatever is in you comes out. And if you have no regard for the Lord, the intentions of it, it's going to show. So what was then, I mean, what is now is no different than what was then. It's like hatred right. is passed down from generation to generation to generation. Now, when uh, the Magi came to visit uh, Jerusalem after Jesus was born in uh, Bethlehem, Herod, Herod the Great was the ruler. And so Herod was the one who ordered the slaughter of the innocent babies. Right. Herod the Great ordered the slaughter from two years old, I believe, and younger. So toward the longer he lived, the more cruel he became. 
And thinking that his family was about to overthrow, that's when he he decided to kill one of his wives and her mother and her two sons and his eldest son. And, and that's basically how it goes, why the Lord shortened man's time. It's because the longer a person exists outside of God's will, the more wicked they become. So then it, it, it was so bad that the emperor, Augustus, made a comment that it would be safer to be Herod's pig than his son. <laughs> so after he died, his, the next son that took over was Archelaus. And Archelaus was his eldest son at that time after he killed his other eldest son. And um, so you can read about that in Matthew chapter 2, and I think is verse 22. And, and he was put in place after Herod the Great. Well, anyway, it, what it says in Matthew 2.22, when... Um, this is still at the time Jesus is already born and Joseph is warned by an angel that he should, because they were going to settle there where they were and, and the Lord didn't allow it and they were told to go a different way because of Archelaus and um, Augustus, Emperor Augustus, it, I don't think he liked Archelaus and you know, he had, Archelaus had to prove himself, and then, so, what he started to do is the beginning of his reign, he started by slaughtering 3,000 prominent citizens. Well, the emperor removed him two years later. The emperor took away the rule of Judea from the Herod family, although another son of Herod ruled over Galilee, who was Herod Antipas, and he was more tolerant ruler and um, this is something that Herod the Great would never have tolerated. So Herod Antipas ruled Galilee when Jesus began his public ministry. And he was also called a tetrarch, which is ruler over fourth, a fourth of a part. And um, So and it was this person. This is the one who killed John the Baptist. Right. This is the uh, Herod. He feared John the Baptist, but you know how people, they they speak, and they speak rashly. And by him not taking thought of what he was saying, he put his foot in his mouth, and therefore uh, the person that danced the daughter of the, of the person that he was having an affair with asked for the head of John the Baptist. And he couldn't deny it because as king, he had promised that if they asked something, he would fulfill their promise. You know, so he probably was tipsy. They were having a party. They were all dancing and, and everything. And then he realized that, um, I don't know, they, he realized that he, he made a promise. And so because John the Baptist criticized him for uh, marrying his brother's wife, that's how John the Baptist came into ill favor. I mean, he was angry, but I don't think he was angry enough to kill him. But uh, the, the the woman was Philip's uh, ex-wife. She was angry enough. Her Herodias, I believe. Mm -hmm. Right. She was angry enough. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, so the event ended up haunting 
Herod Antipas. They say, I don't know how, you know, the Jewish people loved John and hated Antipas. Because of the Because of the beheading. Right. And uh, so the king believed that John the Baptist was a genuine prophet. He feared the consequences all the way to the end of his life. Right. He felt like he probably had brought bad luck on himself. Uh, and, And he was disturbed. And... But there was nothing he could do about it because instead of standing up for what was right, he just basically followed the politically correct thing to do (laughs) because he had put his foot in his mouth. And so I was saying that last time, the the hypocrisy, you know, not just of the Pharisees, but Herod, the Antipas, the the Tetrarch, he was known for his hypocrisy because the Lord called it leaven. So, um, Antipas was the only member of Herod's family, the Herod family, that came face to face with Jesus. Which Jesus refused to even acknowledge. (laughs) (laughs) So, after John's murder, Herod and Jesus were always in opposition. They were always going back and forth. You know, Jesus just would put him in his place or didn't uh listen to him or didn't pay him any mind or well, but at the same time Antipas was fearful because he felt like Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead and he probably felt like he could have a rapport with him because see, he had one with John the Baptist and i think what he wanted to do was try to establish the same type of rapport even though he was a hypocrite. He wanted to probably establish the same type of relationship that he had with John the Baptist. And that's how he misunderstood reality, the truth. He, he, being in his own way and not being led by the Lord, coming to his own conclusions, all he could do was fear. And so when, when it turned out that uh, the people were, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all the rulers were trying their best to trap the Lord. They wanted to trap him. And and Jesus was basically just, he was going through and he was teaching and his word convicted them. It, it cut them. But he what he said applied to everybody, not just the Pharisees, not just the Sadducees, not just the publicans and sinners. It applied across the board to everyone. And they just couldn't stand uh, hearing the truth because it condemned them so. And so when he healed on the Sabbath, they weren't impressed with that. You know, they, they've spent their time trying to get the Lord to fear the current people who were in power. They were trying their best to get him to fear Pilate. They started out with Pilate, you know. They were trying to get him to, to, to fear being, say, in Jerusalem because, you know, Pilate did this and Pilate killed the Galileans and Pilate is a powerful man and, you know, you should consider because... Last time, he mingled the people's uh, blood with the sacrifices. And so Jesus wasn't deterred by that either. And then when the Lord healed on the Sabbath, he knew exactly what he was doing. are you talking about uh, starting with verse 10 of Luke chapter 13, where he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman that had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. Right, she was bound. She was bowed together, and no wise could lift herself. Right. Uh, that can you imagine right. being bent over like that? Right. And, and and the and the part about it was that people look at things like that and say, 
the Lord did this, the Lord, Lord allowed it, but somehow, whatever she did, Satan got a hold of her. And I don't know what she did in her lifetime, but the Lord said she was bound by Satan for 18 years. So I don't know how old she was. I just know that during this time that the Lord had her for there for his glory. So, so, you know, when Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her. And um, so he, he said, come here, come here, woman, thou art loosed. From thine infirmity. And he laid hands on her, and just like that. She stood Just up. like that, she stood straight up. Right. And what did she do after that? She glorified God. Right. And see, and like I was saying on the in the program last week, the people, the the Pharisees, the rulers, were not moved by a miracle. And this goes to show you, when people think they're right, it doesn't matter. They, if if people have no compassion, and they feel they're right in this, they will kill you, your family, and and sit down and. And eat breakfast. They don't. They don't care. Mm-hmm. And they didn't glorify God. What they said was, you know what? <laughs> they said you healed on the Sabbath. <laughs> you see, that's that's what they were concerned with. And they were concerned with the logistics. They were concerned with law, what they considered to be the letter of the law, not the spirit behind what the Lord was saying. And it's hypocritical. That's that's the leaven that they were spreading. It's hypocrisy. That's contagious. So what the Lord was saying, these particular leaders were teaching people how to be hypocrites. So so the people and the ruler of the synagogue turned not talking to Jesus or anything. He right. was talking to the rest of the people. The people who witnessed the miracle. Know, so they're like uh, inciting or, or like trying to build a fire under the people. Right. And he said, look, look what he did. He, on the Sabbath day. He did it on the Sabbath day. There are six days that people should work. Right. And what happens? And, and that's when they should come in and be healed. Mm-hmm. But instead, no. Yeah. He had to be healed, healing on the, right. on the Sabbath. Right. Healed on the six days, he said, within those six-day period that, that people can be healed, but not on the Sabbath. Like, they were so sanctimonious. And, like, the, the Sabbath day was, was so revered that Jesus had somehow violated the Sabbath. And that's when the Lord lets them know, so, you're a hypocrite. Right. So you can imagine how it, how it is when someone talks to you and they're full of indignation. It's mm-hmm. like, ugh. Right. How dare you? Right. How dare you? You know the rules. You know what you have to do. Right. And then so Jesus just turned and looked and said, well, you are a hypocrite. Right. You know, he didn't hold back. And they were the leaders. See, these these people were standing up. They were the ones that were teaching the people what was right, what was wrong. They were the leaders of the community. They were the ones that liked the praises when they when they were standing in the marketplace. They were the ones that dressed for salvation, but not, did not live holy. They just looked and appeared. So you're not supposed to do to anything on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to. You're not supposed to do anything that work re, that reveres the Lord. You're just supposed to be, according to them, the Sabbath was just merely something that you you did as far as the outward appearance. So what? The, but they didn't tell on themselves. The Lord is that's telling why, them. That's why they said you're a hypocrite. The Lord says you're a hypocrite. Right. What? And and if their ox gets loose or or, or the ass, ass from the stall, right. 
You know, what do you do with right. it? Right. And then if they need water, you know they're not going to let the animals go a whole day without drinking water. He said, you take your animals, you lead them to the to to the place to where they can drink water. He said, so what's the difference? She's more valuable than an ox. You know, <laughs> and, and he said, now this woman should be a daughter of Abraham, whom mm-hmm. Satan has bound, he said, for 18 years. Now I've loosed her from the hands of shouldn't Satan. She be, shouldn't she be set free? Right. On the Sabbath, isn't she worth a drink of water uh, that your ox will receive? Isn't, isn't she worth something? You feed your ox on that day. Isn't she worth even a meal? You know, and, but they couldn't stand it. Now this is the atmosphere that the Lord was ministering and in. And we're going to have to stop there and continue next week. Where we we talk about, this is where the part, in, and it's in verse 17, I think that this is the part that really got them, because he embarrassed them and made them ashamed in front of all the people. But we're going to have to stop here and, and then continue next week. Yes, praise the Lord, and let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. This week's verse of the day comes from 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, and it reads, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, ain't God all right? God God is is all right. right. Praise the Lord, and let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Last week's food for thought was, what is another name for the feast of unleavened bread? And the answer is Passover. And that answer can be found in Luke Chapter 22, verse 1, which reads, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. This week's food for thought is, How many times is Easter mentioned in the Bible? Hint, the Bible. And that's food for thought.